for that number. You know, part of the Christian experience, part of the Christian life, is a singing heart, a heart that makes melody unto the Lord. For us, that is normal and natural because we've grown up, many of us in church, we know the Lord, have a heart surrendered to do what God wants us to do, and that, again, is part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Remember a few years back, we had the senior administration down at an accreditor accreditation meeting. It was a three-day meeting of um, several colleges in this particular forum as they were looking at accreditation process. And um, they had a team exercise toward the end of that forum for each of the colleges that were represented. And that is that that group had to come up with some kind of skit or whatever to uh, reflect uh, some, something that they picked up while they were, uh, you know, during in that particular accreditation forum. And uh, so we got together, figured out, you know, what are we going to do? And Dr. Steve Stratford, who is now with the Lord, but was on faculty at that time and with us on that uh, strategy forum, wrote out a the song to the tune of Amazing Grace that reflected some of the concepts that we were trying to do um, at Maranatha and discussed, you know, that was discussed in this particular forum. So it was to the tune of Amazing Grace. So we practiced it several times as a group, and then we got up in front of all of these uh, uh, colleges. All of the others were secular colleges. and So we sang this tune. And uh, it was uh, the, the words reflected exactly what they wanted us to do. And it was amazing the number of people that came up to us afterwards and said, you know, that sounded really good. And uh, again, for us, it was just natural and normal to sing. And for some of them, they never sing. You know, they may hear it on the radio but they, and may try some in the shower, but uh, they don't have the opportunity to sing on a regular basis but for the Christian, that's just an outworking of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, we're going to look at a text here. And uh, we're going to get a running start <clears throat> in our text. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. 1 Peter 5 and verse 1. Peter says, The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a um, partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now we transition into our text that we'll be looking at this morning. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, humble therefore uh, yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. 
casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. You know, your attitude impacts your outlook on life. Your attitude impacts your outlook on life. I read an interesting story of a second grader named Mike who was not having a good day. On the way to school, Mike scraped his arm and got blood all over his clothes. He forgot his homework, got in trouble with his teacher. At recess, he was hit in the mouth, lost a tooth. After school, he slipped on some ice and broke his wrist. Poor kid's not having a good day. But on the way to the hospital, he reached into his pocket with his good hand and pulled something out. His father said, what is it? He said, it's a quarter, 25 cents. He said, I found it on the ground when I fell. It's the first quarter I've ever found, he said. This is the best day of my life. (laughs) Attitude makes a a big difference in your outlook on life. One of the self-help gurus says... Your attitude, not your aptitude, will determine determine your uh, altitude. Winston Churchill says, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. And in the passage that we just read, Peter is exhorting the elders, the leaders, the spiritual leadership of the church, and then he transitions to everyone else. And here in this passage, Peter is dealing with attitudes. It's not necessarily actions. It's some core attitudes that if you have in your life, it will impact the way you view life. And now remember, Peter is writing to the church here that is uh, under persecution. They are suffering. And yet he is admonishing them to have the right attitude in your life because attitude makes a big difference. So let's look at these imperatives here, these attitudes that we ought to have as mature believers in Christ. The first attitude is found in verse 5. Likewise, that's the transitional word there. He's moving from the spiritual, those in spiritual leadership. Now he's moving to the rest of us. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. So the first attitude is the attitude of submission. What does the word submit mean? Well, it means to rank under and often used in a military context because there it is easy for us to understand how that works where we have various ranks and you have this order of command that you uh, subject yourself to and what Peter is saying is that what we need to do is we need to have this attitude of submission and if you have an attitude of submission what it's going to do it's going to impact the way you view life. Now, this attitude, this idea of submission is not new to Peter. 
He writes earlier, Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto the governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. He goes on to say, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. Later he writes, Likewise, ye wives, be subject to your own husbands. And so this concept is certainly not new as we submit to those who are in authority over us. Unless, of course, they admonish us and they command us to do that which would go against the word of God. But submission is vital in our day and age. Now, he he identifies here young men. He says, likewise, younger. So those that are younger. Why did he pick them out? Well, it may be that the younger generation is always a bit more aggressive maybe than the older generation, and they're very passionate about what they believe, always drawn to new ideas, and, and it's possible that the younger have unrealistic expectations about submission. You know, when you're younger, you know you're to be submissive to your parents. And you go on to college and you have to be submissive to the institutional rules that you're under. And you think, I'm just looking for the day when I can get out from under all these rules here and just go out and then live the way I want to live and not be worried about, uh, you know, all of the rules that we have. And then what happens is you leave here and you go work for a company and the company has all these crazy rules that you have to live under. I remember I got a call from my daughter who was an accountant for a company and she says yeah this company at times is crazy i said well why is that what do you mean she says well <clears throat> you know the workers can wear anything they want uh, they're not very strict on the dress code <clears throat> but i was having <clears throat> a little snack at my desk uh, about mid-morning and uh, somebody came by a gasp that i was actually eating something you know at my desk because that violates a, a major rule that they have she said, well, I guess I missed that in orientation. And I said, well, you know what? That's the rule, and that's what they want you. That's what they expect. That's what you have to abide by. And, and you're going to run into that all the time. In my ministry, 40-some years of ministry, I have yet to be in a ministry where I didn't report to somebody. I was a youth pastor. I reported to the pastor. He reported to the church congregation. I was an assistant director at a camp. I reported to the camp director. He reported to the board of directors. I'm here at Maranatha. I report to Dr. Davis, Dr. Marriott. They report to the board of trustees. We always report to somebody, and it's unrealistic to think, you know, you're going to go out and not have to submit. Somebody says, well, wait a minute. When I leave here, I'm going to start my own business, And then I could do what I want, and I don't have to submit to anybody. Except for you have the government that tells you all kinds of ordinances that you got to follow. you got the tax man that tells you what you have to do relative to tax law, health department, fire code. you got your customers who tell you what they want you to do. If you don't uh, provide a product or service that meets their needs, they'll go elsewhere, you go out of business. 
We all have to submit to, to others. And it's something that if you have that as an attitude in your life, understanding that's just the way it is, then uh, it's going to impact your outlook on life. I recently read an interesting article on this idea comparing secular submission to biblical submission. And uh, I thought they had some really good points in this um, article. I don't recall who the author is, but in this article, the writer says, society seeks to limit submission but biblical submission broadens its reach. So in other words, in a secular society, what you want to do is rise to the top so that you don't have to report to as many people above you and you have a whole lot more be below you. But in the biblical submission, we submit one to another. In this article, secular submission is compulsory, imposed from without. Biblical submission is voluntary, from the heart. And so what you have in the secular society is this submission is imposed upon you. Here are the rules. Here's what you've got to do. But biblical submission, we do it because we love everyone and, and we want to serve the Lord and be the kind of testimony we need to be. In this article, secular submission is motivated by self-interest. Biblical submission is motivated by self-sacrifice. So uh, in the secular realm, what you, uh, if you do submit, the idea is you're doing it for your own good as you uh, can rise to the top, get more people below you. But in biblical submission, it's self-sacrifice as we serve one another. And so we even see in our text here where he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder, yea, <clears throat> all of you be subject one to another. The fact of the matter is sometimes we put an overemphasis on, you know, who's, who do we have to submit to? The fact of the matter is we have to submit to one to another. <clears throat> I read this uh, illustration. It says, driving down a country road, I came to a very narrow bridge. In front of the bridge, a sign was posted, yield. Seeing no oncoming cars, I continued across the bridge into my destination. <clears throat> on my way back, I came to the same one-lane bridge. Now, <clears throat> from the other direction. To my surprise, I saw another yield sign posted. Curious, I thought. I'm sure there was one posted on the other side. And so when I reached the other side of the bridge, I looked back, and sure enough, yield signs had been posted at both sides of the bridge. Drivers from both directions were were requested to give the right of way. It was a reasonable and gracious way of preventing a head-on collision. And so <clears throat> the idea here is this, that submission is an attitude that will impact the way that you view life. Submission is not popular in this culture. But for a believer, a mature believer, it ought to be, we're commanded, it is an imperative that would be part of our life. Now, the second attitude that we see here is, again, found in uh, verse 5, when it says, Likewise, ye, elder, ye, ye, young, uh, likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, 
and giveth grace unto the humble. Humble uh, yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And so the second attitude that we ought to have is this attitude of humility. Now, what does the word humility mean? The word humility is the word lowly-minded. And that uh, you are not too lowly, uh, you're not too high to serve others around you. You are not too great to stoop. Peter may have pictured here Christ who stooped down to wash the disciples' feet. True humility is where we're more concerned about others. And so a phrase that I read that I think is very vital, and that is, humility is not thinking less of yourselves, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means not thinking of yourself at all. Humility, not thinking of yourselves at all. You know, some of you may recall the heavyweight boxer from a previous generation, Muhammad Ali. He's famous for saying, you know, I am the greatest. And in his book, he uh, talked about that phrase, I am the greatest. He said, uh, I said that even before I knew I was the greatest. But I, there was an interesting, uh, humorous uh, story about that as he was uh, flying on an airline one day. Sitting in his seat, flight attendant came by and said, Sir, you need to buckle up. Muhammad Ali said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Flight attendant said, Superman don't need no airplane either. Buckle up. (laughs) Humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself at all. Winston Churchill was asked, doesn't it thrill you to know that every time you make a speech, the hall is packed to overflowing? It's quite flattering, replied Winston. But whenever I get that way, I always remember that if instead of making a political speech, I was being hanged, the crowd would be twice as big. We live in a narcissistic society where everything revolves around the individual. Their self-importance, their feeling of superior, uh, superiority that they deserve special treatment. The fact of the matter is that is not the biblical attitude. The biblical attitude is that of humility. There are six things which the Lord hates, seven which are abomination to him. And what is the first in this list? A proud look. And uh, so what we need to do is make sure that we have the attitude of humility. And these go together. Submission and humility. Submission where we are voluntarily uh, submitting to those in authority and ranking under. And humility where we don't think so much of ourselves and think that the world revolves around us and and, uh, but that we are willing to serve the Lord. So we see the attitude of submission. Number two, the attitude of humility. But now in our text, there is a third attitude. 
And that is in verse 7. Peter says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So the third attitude that we see in this text is the attitude of trust. You know, the word trust is a wonderful word. It means that you have the confidence in someone or something. Obviously, the object of this trust here is the Lord as we're casting all our care upon the Lord. Now, I've used this illustration before, but it works well in this particular setting, so I'm going to repeat it. I have 11 grandchildren. I joy being with the grandkids. And I remember one time in in the pool with uh, my little grandson, Grayson. He is now seven, but he was about four or five at this time. And I said, Grayson, jump to Grandpa. Little Grayson, I'm sure I could see the wheels turning within his brain. He's asking two questions. Question number one, will Grandpa catch me? Can Grandpa catch me? If he were to leap from the side of that pool, would I catch him or would I step back and say, ha ha, just kidding? Or if he were to leap from the side of that pool into my arms, would the both of us sink to the bottom of the pool? Okay. Only when Grayson has the trust that Grandpa will do what he says he will do and can do what he says he will do, Will Grayson leap from the side of that pool uh, into my arms? And you know, that's the way it is with God. We're to cast all our care upon him. Why? Because we trust him. We know that he can care for us, that he will care for us. Remember a few years back, Jane Dang was a student from Vietnam. Came here, she graduated a couple years ago, now is back in her country. But Jane grew up on the equator and now is going to this college in Wisconsin. I mean, she didn't know what snow was. One night, uh, Wednesday night, we canceled services because of freezing rain. She happened to be talking to her dad, who lived back in Vietnam, and said, Dad, uh, we don't have services tonight because of freezing rain. And that was something that the guy could not understand. Does it hurt when it hits you? You I mean, it's just totally different. And she's in Vietnam, coming to the United States. She says, I did not own a coat. But she um, recognized that God could take care of her. God uh, will clothe the, uh, the lilies of the valley. God will take care of the sparrows. God will take care of me. So she left Vietnam to come here to Wisconsin in August where it was warm, but still didn't own a coat. She just prayed and trusted the Lord that uh, God would provide a coat in time when it starts getting cold. You know, various individuals realized that, hey, Jane doesn't have a coat. They started going out and buying her coat. She said by the time it got cold, I had more coats than any, and then all the students on campus. God provided. And you know, if we have an attitude of trust, 
We can trust in the providence of God working. We can trust in God leading. You know what? That attitude will impact our life, the way that we look at life. And that's an attitude that we need to cultivate. Well, we see the the fourth attitude in our text. He says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Verse number eight, be sober. Be sober. Now, this is the attitude of self-control. Now, you understand that the, the concept, the idea of sober, sobriety is often you know, connected with intoxication. So a drunk who is now sober is no longer under the control of the alcoholic beverage. He is now in control of his own uh, uh, senses, his own self. And the idea here is when we're sober, it's not that we're serious. It's not that we're low-key in the way that we act. No, it means that we are under control. That we are in control of the way that we act and what we say. You could go to a ball game and cheer wildly and be sober, just as you can go to a funeral and be sober. The idea is making sure that you act appropriate in every situation and in a way that glorifies God. That is being sober. And so one of the attitudes that we're required to be here is this attitude to be sober, self-controlled. Unfortunately, in this day and age, again, individuals are not under control. They just let uh, the wild instinct of their old nature run, and uh, they don't bring it into control for the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we see the final attitude that we see here. And that is in the middle of verse 8, where he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The final attitude here that we need to have is the attitude of vigilance. We need to understand that the flesh is weak and the devil is real and the world system wants to chew us up and what we have to do is to be vigilant to make sure that we're not allowing unconfessed sin to fester in our life, giving the devil a foothold to ruin and to mar our testimony and... um, And so we need just simply need to be vigilant. You know, your attitude will impact your outlook on life. If you have an attitude of submission, an attitude of humility, an attitude of trust, an attitude of self-control, an attitude of vigilance, It will impact the way that you live your Christian life. And I trust the Holy Spirit will challenge us today with these thoughts. Lord, thank you for your love. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the right attitudes. Help us to view life through the lens of submission, humility, trust, self-control, and vigilance. And we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen.